An atmospheric river dumps rain on the Los Angeles basin with devastating effect. Los Angeles area residents banded together on Monday to clear debris after a mudslide, bringing heavy rainfall and hurricane force winds. It's been crazy, especially maybe the last 12 hours or so. Wildfires in Chile have killed more than 120 people. There was a lot of wind, a lot of wind and big balls of fire that would fly by. And NASA, the U.S. space agency, is launching a new satellite to monitor climate change. It will advance our ability to uh, understand both the ocean and the atmosphere. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. A massive storm, the second in recent days, stalled over Southern California on Monday, drenching the Los Angeles area with torrential rain, bringing near-hurricane-force wind gusts and raising the threat of flash floods and landslides. Here's Reuters correspondent Freddie Joyner. Los Angeles area residents banded together on Monday to clear debris after a mudslide as a powerful atmospheric river storm stalled over Southern California, bringing heavy rainfall and hurricane-force winds. It's been crazy, especially maybe the last 12 hours or so. The so-called Pineapple Express weather system left more than a half a million homes and businesses without power as of Monday morning, according to Electric Utilities and PowerOutage.us. It's the second such storm to hit the most populous U.S. state in the past week. This is a bit of an unusual storm. Dr. Daniel Swain is a climate scientist at the Institute for Environment and Sustainability at UCLA. This is a powerful mid-latitude cyclone that actually has characteristics of one that you might find more often over the mid middle part of the continent. This will have a broader contiguous band of heavy rainfall developing from about Santa Barbara County eastward, and it's going to be very slow moving. Uh, there are a number of mandatory evacuations in certain canyons susceptible to debris flows uh, all the way from Santa Barbara County now into Los Angeles County as well. This is very rare and unusual and a strong signal of a very high risk of significant flash flooding. Rushing waters could be seen breaching the top of the Mission Creek Bridge in Santa Barbara. California Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency in eight counties with a combined population of more than 20 million people after a first atmospheric river storm delivered a deluge of rain up and down the coast beginning on Friday. Authorities have told residents to be prepared for extremely dangerous conditions, especially in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles and in the Santa Monica Mountains. Reuters correspondent Freddie Joyner. California is the most populous state in the United States with about 40 million people, half of whom have been impacted by these storms. Joining us now from the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is meteorologist William Churchill. So what are we looking at here um, in California? I, I heard it called a uh, pineapple river. <laughs> I assume that has something to do with it's coming from around Hawaii. Yes. So that, that's actually a mix of the two <laughs> different phrases. So there's a atmospheric river is what it's more traditionally known by. And one of the nicknames for a particular type of atmospheric river is called a pineapple express. And that's basically, yeah, when their moisture source is kind of originating from the, the tropics and the vicinity of Hawaii, they call it a, a pineapple express. But either way, it's describing the same phenomenon, which is basically a, uh, you could picture it as a three-dimensional river in the atmosphere. 
So, you know, big column of, of moisture that gets transported from the uh, very moist tropical regions, equator regions of the, of the world that ultimately gets um, funneled northward with a channel of winds. So that's why we kind of euphemistically refer to it as a river. Um, and in this case, in California, you, you have that phenomenon occurring, uh, but it's also occurring with a particularly strong uh, low-pressure system uh, that's, that's making those winds uh, a little bit faster than usual, basically. So it's able to channel more moisture more quickly uh, farther north. But then the more significant factor is that it's also uh, a stalled-out system in what we call a, a blocked atmospheric pattern. So that's the more significant um, uh, aspect of it is that the system hasn't been moving. So it's been dumping those um, you know, high amounts of rain for a long period of time over the same areas. In this case, uh, Southern California pretty much pointed directly at the uh, Los Angeles basin there. So they've ended up with some pretty prolific uh, rain totals as a result just in the past 24 hours. So it sounds like it's the perfect, <laughs> I started to say perfect storm and then I realized what I was saying. Because you've got the you've got the trough of moisture, the high winds, and then it stalls out, and so the endpoint is always Southern California. Correct. Yeah, or at least for a you know twenty four plus hour period, which is long enough when you're getting the the type of rates we've been getting. Um, you know, it's not really heavy rain in the way that uh, we think of it, like out east and eastern parts of the United States, where you can get these thunderstorms with tremendous heavy rains. Um, but for California, an area that doesn't really see that type of rainfall, just getting a you know, quarter to half inch of rain per hour over many, many, many hours starts to add up to what would otherwise be these prolific totals that we expect from thunderstorms out east, if that makes sense. So just, yeah, adds up over a long period of time. And you had mentioned, you said it was dumping it mostly in the um, L.A. basin, which is problematic, right? Because from a terrain perspective, the land is such that it yes. cannot absorb that kind of water because of what it it really is. It's really the desert, isn't it? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, I mean, the, the deserts across the mountains themselves certainly got much less than that uh, from this uh, from this system. But yeah, I mean, even, even Los Angeles uh, is a fairly dry climate, you know, kind of thought of as a, as a fairly... Uh, arid climate, but it's actually those mountains themselves that lead to these prolific totals in these events. Um, is this exacerbated in any way by um, the climate change, or is it just this random series of uh, things lining up for them? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, atmospheric rivers themselves are not like a climate change phenomenon. They've always happened. They've always been a, a weather phenomenon. Uh, but there are studies that show, um, and it makes sense from a from like a you know just a scientific conceptual framework that the warmer the atmosphere gets, the more damaging these uh, atmospheric river events could become, uh, and that's mainly due to uh, you may have heard the adage that a warmer uh, a warmer world, a warmer atmosphere has the ability to essentially hold more water, and that's that's pretty much what's attributable to to that research. So as the air is warmer, these atmospheric rivers have the ability to transport more water, and as a result, more of that water will be precipitated out, and you'll end up, you know, with worse totals as a result of that. And we've already seen, uh, just with the amount of climate change that has happened so far, we expect an uptick in, in the severity of these of these storms. So, 
we expect that to continue. And studies show that it could, uh, that like the cost of damage from these events could double or even triple by the end of the uh, of the century. Meteorologist William Churchill with the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, we call it NOAA. In Chile, wildfires have devastated huge parts of the country and are still burning. Hundreds of people remain missing and about 14,000 homes have been damaged. It burned like someone was throwing gasoline on the houses. I don't understand what happened. Chile, Argentina, and other areas in South America's southern cone have been facing a severe heat wave, something experts say will become more common during the southern hemisphere summer months due to climate change. The death toll has risen to 122, and President Gabriel Boric says he fears that will rise significantly. We're following these other stories from around the world. Britain's King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer and has begun treatment. Less than 18 months into his reign, the 75-year-old monarch will suspend public engagements, but will continue with state business and will not be handing over his constitutional roles as head of state. The palace did not disclose what type of cancer the king has, but said it's not related to his recent treatment for a benign prostate condition. Protests have shut down major cities in Haiti as demonstrators clash with police and demand the resignation of Prime Minister Ariel Henry. Banks, schools, and government agencies closed in Haiti's northern and southern regions on Monday, while protesters blocked main routes with blazing tires and paralyzed public transportation. A new Thailand-led humanitarian initiative aims to pave the way for talks between warring camps in military-ruled Myanmar, three years after a coup triggered a wave of violence across the country. Thailand plans to establish a humanitarian safe zone later this month at its border with Myanmar to deliver food and medical supplies to local communities and 20,000 people displaced by the fighting. The latest wave of U.S. airstrikes in Iraq aimed at pounding targets associated with almost 170 attacks by Iranian-backed militias on U.S. forces in the region, appears to be expanding the fissure between Washington and Baghdad. VOA National Security Correspondent Jeff Selden has the latest from the Pentagon. Mourners in Baghdad and a funeral procession for militia members killed in Friday's U.S. airstrikes. Some calling for U.S. forces to leave the country now. The time has come, says Badr organization leader Hadi Al-Amiri. Some Iraqi government officials have echoed that call. Angry Baghdad was not notified of the U.S. strikes in advance. The U.S. is pushing back. Iraq, like every country in the region, understood that there would be a response after the deaths of uh, our soldiers. State Department spokesperson Vedant Patel. We informed the Iraqis immediately after the strikes occurred. And the Pentagon rejected Iraqi allegations that those killed were with the Iraqi security forces. As we conduct these strikes, we are very focused on 
uh, Iranian-backed proxy groups. Major General Pat Ryder. We're striking uh, terrorist groups that are uh, supported by the IRGC. Ryder says Baghdad is a valued ally, adding the U.S. is not planning for a long-term military campaign against the militias in Iraq and Syria. Jeff Selden, VOA News, the Pentagon. At the United Nations, action on allegations that the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East, or as you may have heard it referred to, UNRWA, had people working for it that participated in the October 7th attacks on Israel. The Secretary General, in consultation with Philippe Lazzarini, the UNRWA Commissioner General, this morning appointed an independent review group to assess whether the agency is doing everything within its power to ensure neutrality and to respond to the allegations of serious breaches that have been made. This independent external review will take place in parallel with an investigation already underway by the UN Office of Internal Oversight Services. OA's International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. Australia Prime Minister Anthony Albanese on Tuesday said it was an outrage a Beijing court handed Australian writer Young Henjung a suspended death sentence on espionage charges and vowed to continue to make efforts for his release. We have conveyed, firstly, uh, to China, our dismay, our despair, our frustration, but to put it really simply, our outrage at this verdict. Young, a pro-democracy blogger, is an Australian citizen born in China who was working in New York before his arrest in China in 2019. He's been accused of spying for a country China had not publicly identified and the details of the case against him are also unknown. The sentence handed down three years after a closed-door trial shocked his family and supporters. A suspended death sentence in China gives the accused a two-year reprieve from being executed, after which it is automatically converted to life in prison. It was a year ago, February 6, 2023, when a Magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck Syria. Thousands were killed and 170,000 people left homeless. Today, emergency aid is dried up and some people are sheltering in condemned buildings. VOA's Heather Murdoch reports from Istanbul. If Julia Adiyaman could go back in time, before the February 2023 earthquake that took her apartment building and many of her neighbors and relatives... She wouldn't save her home. She says she wishes they had lost their homes in the earthquake and no people. A lost life cannot come back, she says. More than 50,000 people perished in the earthquake and millions were displaced. Many families, like Adeyaman's, stayed in tents for months before being moved into container homes, where hundreds of thousands of people still live. Earthquake experts say while the earthquake was massive, a large portion of the deaths and property loss could have been prevented. 
Turkey has earthquake building codes that were not always followed amid construction booms in recent decades. Quite big buildings did not do that. But many fell down in seconds, he says, with people inside. The government has promised to build hundreds of thousands of new homes for people, but so far, only tens of thousands have been made available. Families say they can never recover what they lost. Funduk Asku lost her daughter, her son-in-law, and their four children in the earthquake. She says that if she were offered jewels, or even all the world, she wouldn't take them if she could have her grandchildren back. That's how heavy the pain is, she says. Survivors say they also cannot forget the horrors they witnessed. Again, this is Julia Adiyaman. She says they saw bodies lined up in rows, decomposing. She saw neighbors carried out of the rubble dead after they had waited for three days for help. Adiyaman says she hopes to move out of this container and into new, government-built housing, if or when it becomes available to her and her family. At least then, she says, they may once again feel at home. Reporting with Orhan Erkelec in Kahraman Marash, I'm Heather Murdoch, VOA News, Istanbul. Early Tuesday morning, NASA, the U.S. space agency, will launch its next climate and Earth monitoring satellite. It's the Plankton Aerosol Cloud Ocean Ecosystem, or PACE, mission. To learn more about what NASA hopes to achieve and how, VOA's Steve Miller speaks with NASA atmospheric scientist Kirk Nobelspies. What can you tell us about the PACE mission? So PACE is the the next Earth science mission. Uh, It will advance our ability to uh, understand both the ocean and the atmosphere, uh, really by having more advanced types of cameras on on the spacecraft uh, that we've been able to fly in the past. So, so when you say study the atmosphere, you're an atmospheric scientist. So what are the things Correct. that you in general study and what are the different things that this mission hopes to achieve? So my core of expertise, I guess, is the study of particulate matter in the atmosphere, which we call aerosols. And aerosols are interesting because there's a wide variety of sources. It includes everything from dust from deserts or, or smoke from forest fires. Uh, but it also includes uh, pollution from from humans or the byproducts of pollution from humans. Uh, so we care about aerosols because uh, they're not good to breathe. Um, they, they can have an adverse effect on air quality, but they also play a very interesting role in climate. Uh, and, and this gets to the other thing that PACE will be measuring, which is clouds. So aerosols can influence the formation and properties of clouds, which control uh, many aspects related to how our, our weather works and how our climate works on this planet. You mentioned the cameras that are being used to take these images for the PACE mission. And over the years, I've gone to various government NASA websites and seen amazing pictures from space of Earth. So what can you tell us about how these cameras are, are different than the ones producing the images that we normally see? Well, we're, we're really excited about PACE because these are, these are advanced cameras in a couple of ways. In fact, there are three instruments, three, three cameras on, on PACE. Uh, the primary instrument, which is called the ocean color instrument, is what we call a hyperspectral imager. So if you imagine our eyes are able to, to distinguish a couple of colors, um, ultimately we have three different color sensors in our eyes. 
Uh, OCI has uh, roughly 200. So this is able to, to really tease out very subtle distinctions in color. And we care about color because it relates to uh, uh, properties of the ocean, specifically biology in the ocean, and the, the phytoplankton, which is uh, uh, algae that lives in the ocean. It helps us distinguish between different types of, uh, of these uh, particles, which are the basis of our food web. Um, the other two instruments are what we call multi-angle polarimeters. So the multi-angle part means that they observe a scene from different viewing angles. It's, it's as if it's taking multiple snapshots as we fly overhead. Um, it's also sensitive to a feature of light called polarization. And this is something that we can't see uh, uh, at all with our eyes. It has to do with the way that light oscillates, the way, way light works as a wave. Um, and so that oscillation has a, a direction to it. And so polarization means we're sensitive to that direction. All of these things help us better understand what's in the scene that we're observing. So the, the color sensitivity helps us better understand what's in the ocean, and the polarization and multi-angle sensitivity helps us better understand uh, particulate matter in the atmosphere, aerosols, and cloud properties, such as the, the size distribution of, of cloud droplets. Kirk Noble's piece is an atmospheric scientist with NASA. Kirk, thank you so much for taking time out and speaking with us today. Thank you very much. Anyway, Steve Miller, talking with NASA atmospheric scientist Kurt Nobelspies. This has been International Edition on the Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for listening. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Technologies such as artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and digital infrastructure are essential to everyday life in the modern world. Innovation in this area is an increasingly foundational source of geopolitical power, said Nathaniel Fick, State Department Ambassador-at-Large of the Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy, in recent congressional testimony. The United States is prioritizing the responsible use of this emerging technology by allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific region. The United States has conducted talks with Singapore, the Republic of Korea, India, Australia, and various Pacific Island countries to create solidarity on a growing set of technology topics of high geopolitical significance, said Ambassador Fick. These efforts cut across the digital ecosystem from basic cybersecurity protections to 5G networks to other aspects of digital infrastructure, including data centers, low-Earth orbit satellites, and undersea cables, as well as to the new generation of enabling technologies, including AI. While consensus was reached, not all countries in the region are using these new technologies responsibly, said Ambassador Fick. We face well-resourced and technologically capable competitors and adversaries who possess authoritarian visions and use long-term technology-based strategies to advance those aspirations. 
These competitors most notably include the PRC, which wields all elements of national power to try to bend the rules-based international order in its favor. The United States is also concerned with the PRC's civil-military fusion strategy, which coerces Chinese companies to share technological innovation with the Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army, or PLA. This strategy decreases our confidence in the ability to ensure that U.S. technologies exported to PRC will be used only for legitimate civilian uses, said C.S. Elliott Kang, State Department Assistant Secretary for the Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation. To counter this strategy, the United States founded the International Technology Security and Innovation Fund, or ITSE, which is raising awareness of problematic PRC end-users and disrupting illicit activities. The State Department also manages other foreign assistance programs to strengthen regional regulatory systems, improve implementation and enforcement measures, and enhance research security among partners, said Assistant Secretary Kang. The Indo-Pacific is particularly important, a region rich with technology innovators and critical suppliers, said Assistant Secretary Kang. The United States is committed to supporting its partners in these sectors, while countering any country that tries to twist emerging technology for their own gain. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 